listening to the amazing sounds brand new single from power glove it's tokyo rose and power glove teaming up to do a song called blood sport just came out I think last week and I'm pumped about it I wanted to play it for you guys in its entirety or pretty much in its entirety at the opening of the show because I think it's fucking rad you are listening to the brand new episode of in love with the process I am your host Mike Petchy how are you guys welcome to my show welcome to the couch welcome for hangout do you got a beer you drinking beer these days what are you drinking you drinking wine you drinking beer you drinking soda you drinking something good for you um, hang out with me, have some food. Uh, it's been uh, it's been an interesting week for me. I actually went through an entire week of eating mostly vegetarian. Actually, I think I cheated twice on Saturday and uh, maybe yesterday. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. First couple days were pretty tough. Strangely, I didn't think they would be, but they were pretty tough trying to find a new rhythm. Find a new way to cook meals, and uh, uh, if you guys haven't heard uh, the last episode, I talked a bit about it. I got my blood samples back, and uh, I got to bring my cholesterol down. Of course, right? You're like, dude, of course. We follow you on Instagram. We follow Mike Petchy on Instagram. We see your posts about smoked meats and ribs and all your adventures with beer, and yeah, well, you know, it, it adds up. It does. No matter how much... You know how many of those movies I grew up watching where the action hero always makes it in the back end, you know, gets knocked around a bunch, but, you know, Wolverine with its healing factor, I don't have that. (laughs) Surprise, reality check, you don't have that. You don't have a healing factor. Um, But it's been good. Uh, Once I got past a few days, uh, I started to be like, okay, I, I think I can figure this out. Uh, and Gina and I actually went out last night. We went out to uh, a Thai place. I'm not going to remember the name of it, but we went out to a Thai place out here in California. And that, it's the toughest thing now. We go and you look at the menu and you go, yes, I'd like to try the ribs. Yes, I'd like to try, you know, the, the fried chicken. Um, but we got, which was really special, we got like a full fish. It's like a, a bronzini, a branzino or something. How do they pronounce it? Um, but this was a little bit different. It was Thai style, so a lot of lime, 
sweet sour spicy which was really nice and then they they like dry aged the fish which is crazy to me I'm like how the, how, how the fuck did you guys pull that off and they there's a specific facility that that does it in like a refrigerator environment it still dry ages it a bit it was beautiful very tasty and I, I thought to myself that's one fucking thing with all the grilling and the barbecuing and shit that I've done lately, I haven't figured that out yet. I haven't figured out how to fillet a full fish yet, and I haven't figured out how to grill fish. I mean, I do, like, you know, fillets, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I haven't done full fish stuff. So that might be my new thing. I might be trying that out in the next couple weeks for food. Um, speaking of trying out stuff, uh, a lot of stuff going on with uh, movie prep, things are moving and not moving and moving again. Uh, so we'll see, fingers crossed and everything. Um, but uh, back to work on prepping, I've been doing that for the past week, week and change. Uh, like picking up a bunch of really great books that I'm really enjoying and like digging deep into like uh, art direction and all that kind of stuff. It's fun. It's starting to get fun again. It's weird. You're timid, right? Because you're like, oh, should I get emotionally attached yet? When do I become emotionally attached to this thing? Is this is it just going to halt? Is it is it going to slow down, or is this the momentum? And and, and should I be prepared for this momentum? And I'm always I'm always beating myself up as a director because I'm like, fuck, you should be preparing more. You should be preparing more. And then when a project halts or stops or things change. Then you're like, fuck, why did I do this? I fell in love with all these things that aren't happening. It's this weird thing, and I've talked about it on the show in the past. It's this bipolar lifestyle, which is fascinating to me. And 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 sometimes it feels it can feel very lonely. Prepping these things and putting these things together can feel very lonely. Um, and uh, I think the only cure for that for me is to talk to my peers, talk to other directors, talk to people that have done bigger and better things than I have um, and, and find out, do they feel the same way? Does it get better? Does it change for you? Uh, and uh, we're going to get into some of that today. Uh, today, I'm very excited to have our guest on, uh, Cedric Nicholas Troyan. He is on. He is the director of Kate. That badass action movie that is all over Netflix. Uh, it's fucking fantastic if you haven't seen it yet. If you are into uh, like Japanese animation, you want to see some live action Japanese animation kind of stuff, you'll love this movie. If you grew up watching old Luc Besson movies with amazing, strong female characters, if you're a big fan of like La Femme Nikita, if you're a big fan of Leon, if you're a big fan of uh any of that sort of got to get the job done down and dirty rugged fucking action stuff you're gonna love this movie if you're more of a modern action film person if you loved atomic blonde if you love john wick um the same studio that put that stuff together was also involved with this film um and uh i really liked it uh mary uh who is the lead on this thing she like really gave off like halfway through the movie i'm like she could be ripley like she's got like that ripley vibe is she the new ripley is she gonna be the new ripley for stuff um and there's something great about the momentum in this film in a period of time where everything seems to be stretched out to its limits 
in order to keep subscribers. Uh, this movie has a fucking severe, fierce forward momentum that happens with this film, with this character and the uh, relentless beating that this character goes through uh, to come to a realization uh, is, is just great. It's phenomenal. It's fun to watch. It's eye, there's a lot of eye candy. There's a lot of really great sequences, beautiful cinematography, beautiful lighting, a film that has been, uh, was filmed and shot all over the world. They shot it in, uh, in Japan, of course. They shot it here in Los Angeles, but they also shot it in Thailand. So uh, we get into that. We get into what it's like to direct a team from all over the globe like different folks and what so we we hear about inclusivity right we hear about how you you need to make sure that you are being inclusive you need to do these things and there's a lot of fear with a with a lot of folks hearing this stuff where it's like well what does that mean i have to hire people that i don't know i have to br bring these people into my group and how do i respond to that as a director you should have been doing that anyways from the beginning right because we're consistently i don't know if you feel the same way but this is how i feel when i put together a movie i'm trying to make a movie more interesting than my my scribbles and sketches that i did here at my desk because that is the earliest stage it is a necessary stage it is how you get things started how do you see all it says in the script is and then they fight so what does that look like where does this come from and so myself, I'm sitting here taking my own personal life experiences and bringing them into my work. You know, like, what did it feel like when I saw this happen? When I saw that car accident, what did that look like to me? How did I feel when that happened? And so then I write those things down and then I start to run through, even if only subconsciously, I start to run through all the comic books, all the movies, all the songs, all the music, all that stuff that I've heard and how it has uh, emotionally affected me. And, what it did to me emotionally can i utilize that to make you feel the same way in this piece that i'm doing so that's the prep right that we've talked about that that's what directors do for prep you're bringing all those elements together and you're trying to come up with as many options as possible but if all a movie was was that i hate to say it it would not be good it wouldn't be good it wouldn't be good to me as a director if if, if all it was was the sum of that work that I've done, I wouldn't like that film. What I need, the missing ingredient to that is other people, other life experiences, things that I don't know, places that I haven't been, problems that I've never faced. Those are the things that make it exciting because then it's it's not just what I scribbled down on that page, right? It's not, it's not, the lookbooks that I created. It's not, it's not just that. It's the culmination of bringing together strangers, bringing together friends, bringing together folks and cramming them together in this little stress pot, this little pressure cooker called a movie. And then in that process, you get to find really fucking cool things. That's directing. That's directing to me. Um, it's Cedric and I talk about that. We get real fucking nerdy about that, which I fucking love about this episode. You're welcome. <laughs> I promised when we did this show that we wouldn't just do the standard bullshit press promo stuff. Like, uh, uh, like Kate's been out for a while. I didn't have some promo company come to me and say, Mike, would you like to have the director of Kate on your show? That's not what we did. I watched Kate. It was suggested to me by Lance. My buddy Lance said that you should watch this movie. 
Uh, I sat down and I watched it on Netflix and uh, I fucking dug it. And I was just finishing the movie and I went, who's this director? I don't know who this fucking director is. And I went and I looked back at his stuff. Why did I do that? Because I was impressed. I was impressed with how he chose all these different elements that were available to him. I was impressed with how the world felt, how the world smelled. Mm, I use that term. That's an old term. How does it, how does this movie smell? So all those elements, all those details, I was like, fuck, this is cool. There's a voice here. And I see where there's a whole lot of trying to re replicate other people's shit. There's an, there's an individual voice here, which I like. This is cool. So I did some research. I found him, found him on Instagram. He's hard to track down. Uh, and uh, I just dropped him a note. I said, fucking, I loved Kate. Thought it was great. He wrote back and he was like, yeah, man, thanks. And I said, how'd you like to talk about it on the show? And uh, he agreed. Thankfully, he agreed. And you guys, if you had listened to prior episodes, you heard me fucking bitching at my system uh, because I was supposed to have Cedric on the show a few weeks ago. And uh, my computer fucking went down and there was all sorts of nightmare shit going on. And I was losing my battle with my anger issue. <laughs> and so I got pissed off and, we, and I had to cancel the show. And I was concerned that, he, that uh, I was going to lose him as a, as a guest on the show, but he was so wonderful about it. And he's like, dude, no big deal. He rescheduled the time that worked for him. And he was excited to do a podcast because he, as he says, this was his first podcast that he's done. He's done a lot of interviews, but when you do press tours, you answer all the same fucking questions. And we're very anti that here. So if you're new to the show and you're, you're uh, here because you liked Kate, and you're curious, like, what the hell is this podcast? What is Unlove with the Process? That's what we do here. We try to have a show that is honest. We talk about what really happens as a director. So if you're here for fluff, if you're here to get that dopamine hit of like, it was cool, we hung out and we did karate kicks and shot people and that's the life. And I took a bunch of really sweet selfies and I posted them on Instagram. That's not what we talk about here. We talk about how fucking hard it is to get chosen to be a director. We talk about what happens when you make a film that the critics fucking pan and the critics fucking say it sucks. And then how does that affect your career? How does that affect yourself emotionally? How do you process the fact that you went through an amazing life-changing experience to make something, you worked and collaborated with amazing folks and then you make a film that doesn't do well critically? How do you process that? because it doesn't make sense to you because you've you've spent the time you've 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 climbed an amazing hurdle to get to this point this movie wouldn't have happened without you and without what you've done and that within itself is a miracle but that's not validated by critics that's not validated by current audiences cuz people don't spend the time to actually understand and respect how the fucking food is made right we just want to see the pretty fucking picture at the end. We want to thumbs up, thumbs down, like it or not like whatever that fucking food porn, whatever that dopamine hit is that's coming. So hopefully when you listen to this show, we'll give you some insight because I don't want to be one of those old guys. It's like you young fucking kids don't know your shit. No, I'm, I'm going to like come and hang out, be a part of the conversation, understand, start to find that empathy, start to understand how these things work. Because believe it or not, the shit that you read online isn't always true. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
coming in hot on today's episode. Um, before we get into it, before we hang out with Cedric, I wanted to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast on Instagram and Love of the Process Pod. That's in Love of the Process P-O-D on Instagram. Many of you have been playing the game. You have been leaving reviews. Um, and uh, I'll read a few at the end of the show. We'll go and we'll take a look and see who's got some new stuff. But that is the only way that you're able to see my film 12KM. Uh, the only way I'm going to show it, it's not out. Uh, you can't order it. You can't buy it. It's not up for free on uh, YouTube. The only way you can see my sci-fi piece is by writing a review for the show. You write a review on Apple Podcasts. Now, I know many of you are listening to the show on Spotify. I know many of you are listening to the show on Overcast. I get it. Great. I'm not saying change where you're listening to the show. Unfortunately, all those other providers don't enable you to rate and review something. Now, why is that so important? Why are all your podcasts nagging you about it? I don't know if this registers or not. Your reviews affect the algorithm, which then affects whether or not it even shows up on your feed. This happens on every, every source of social media that's out there, every delivery system. So if you like the show, it's actually more important for you than anything else to write a review consistently write reviews, rate the show. It puts us higher up. Every review that is written, we get at least five to 10 new listeners. Every time we get five to 10 new listeners, when I start to talk to people about being on the show, it's validated by the amount of listens that the show has. So I can get bigger and better guests. I'm trying to explain this to you guys in the simplest way possible. So head on over to Apple Podcasts. If you have an iPhone, it's on your fucking phone. It's an app. Click on it. Type in in love with the process. If you can't find the show right away, it should show up. But if for some stupid algorithm reason, it doesn't put my last name in there as well, then scroll down past 10 episodes. You'll see the review section. Leave a star review and leave a rating. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It really doesn't. Just leave a good review. <laughs> tell, me I'm a, tell me I'm a five-star man. All right, I'm not going to berate you anymore with that. I'm just looking at all of you. I'm judging you. <laughs> uh, let's get into it. All right, uh, I'll catch you guys up. We'll do the ad read, and I'll catch you guys up at the end of the episode with what's going on. But this is a good one. I don't want to delay it any further. Cedric and I get right into it. So strap yourselves in. You know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, crank them up. Sit back, relax, and maybe learn something on the brand new episode of The Love of the Process.
Cedric, thanks for being on the show, dude. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, very excited to have you on. We've been trying to make this work for a few weeks, and uh, we're, right. we're here. We're doing it. Um, we're doing it for better or worse, man. For better or worse, <laughs> we're doing it. I, it's my first podcast, so I don't guarantee the, the quality of uh, of my uh, of my uh, my interview. I, I, I don't guarantee any of it, <laughs> dude. This is an NPR. It's just <laughs> it's just me, man. So it's laid back, full conversation. I, okay. I always say this. I do this show selfishly for myself. I don't care about the audience. So they'll just catch up with us. And I think that's fine. Um, All right, fine. So I'm very excited to get uh, to talk about a bunch of stuff with directing, a bunch of stuff with uh, uh, visual effects. Um, yeah. I uh, stumbled across Kate uh, and I yeah. saw it recently uh, and I, I really fell in love with it. I Wait. thought... The movie was what do you mean you stumbled upon it? No, you didn't. You just you were we were waiting feverishly for it, and then you saw it, and then you jump on it, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Can we swear on that podcast? Yes, podcast? yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can fucking okay. swear. <laughs> That's gonna otherwise it's gonna be difficult to avoid. I can't uh, go two two three sentences without dropping an f bomb. So I, we're good. I, I do like a good beep once in a while, though. I, I, I do, but uh, okay. So sorry, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Uh, okay, look, uh, a friend of mine told me to watch it, and uh, right. I really enjoyed it. I uh, The action sequences were amazing. Being a kid from the 90s and uh, really growing up with like old, like late 80s Japanese anime, yeah. I really respected what you were doing visually with the piece. Um, and well, uh, Kate was, uh, the, the lead was so great. There were moments when I'm watching the film where I'm like, oh, fuck, she's like a modern day Ripley. Like there was a lot of like Ripley vibes. That I yeah, we too. got we got a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so uh, congratulations on a great project. Well, thank a great you. Film. Thank you. Um, well, let's let, let's dig right into it, because I don't know if you know or not, the show is mostly about filmmaking for filmmakers. And we sort of tackle like what's really going on behind the scenes and. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of did a little bit my research before I before I sign up on on your on, on, on your podcast, man. You know, I'm not gonna be oh yeah, who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, listen. Oh, great, know? man. Well, I appreciate that. All right. Yeah, no, I know. Um, okay, so let's let's dig into it. Um, how did you how did you get attached to this project? Like, how did this project come to you? Because this was a script that was floating around a little bit before, right? Is, oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, what what was happening is like I was looking like after Huntsman and, you know, like like Huntsman was perceived as a kind of a, I've not, as not a, of a success. And, you know, mm -hmm. and and uh, so I was looking at where, what is going to be next. And, you know, and when when a movie comes out and you get really hammered by the critics, you know, it's not great, you know. Yeah. So so um, so, you know, obviously. At the time, I was getting offered like other type of fantasy uh, uh, movies, and I love fantasy. Don't get me wrong, but I felt like Huntsman was was really not received the way it should have been. Like everybody was talking about, like uh, you know, Frozen and this and that, and and that was never my inspiration. It was never coming from that. It was coming from like Willow and, and movies like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And no one ever picked up on the willow thing and everybody was talking about so anyway I, I wanted to try to find something that could be you know pretty far from from fantasy actually so I, I wanted to do something that was like today's time and and uh, um, anchored in kind of like more like modern kind of settings and I'm always been a fan of of cyberpunk and I happen to spend a lot of time in Japan as well and 
Japan is a very kind of important country for me. So I, mm. I, I, I worked over there. I, I, um, I spent like a lot of time and I was influenced by, by Japanese culture also very early, uh, very early in my life. Mm -hmm. So when this script came around, my, uh, my agent sent it to me and he's like, Hey, you know, Netflix is uh, doing this and, uh, you know, you, you, you love Japan and, you know, you speak about trying to find some, something to do over there. And, and he sends me that and, um, and I read it and I was like, oh yeah, this is great. You know, and I, I, I love to do something like that. It's violent. It's like, it's like stylized. It has a lot of, um, you know, and I, I could see a lot of like what, what the, the script also could be as far as visually and, and whatnot. Right, right. So, um, so I, I, I called my agent and I'm like, yeah, man, this is great. And uh, um, I'd love to do it. And uh, the problem is like, they didn't look for me to do it at all, you know? Right, right. You then have, <laughs> to, were, you have to convince them that you're the one. Yeah, yeah. So I had to bang on the door. And, and so my agent, Brian Ken from CAA, who is amazing, he's just like, he's just banging at their door and he's keep calling Brian Youngless. And, and he's like, Brian, you, you really need to meet, to meet with Cedric and this and that. And Brian is like, eventually Brian kind of gives up, you know, whether it's like, whether it gives up by, because he, he can't, can't take another phone call or whatnot. I, I never, I will never know really the truth there. But anyway, I met with him and I came in with my kind of take on the, on the script and, and my, and my time spent in Japan and, and my knowledge of, um, of uh, Japanese culture. So, um, so there was a few things that, you know, I brought in and, and whatnot from my personal experience and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and eventually like, uh, Brian was like, yeah, he's great. And then I started to meet with, uh, with Netflix and, uh, I convinced them as well and, uh, ended up being a really good collaboration with them. Um, and that's how, that's how it, it, it came to be. But yeah, no, I was not on their, on their top five list. I don't think I was on their top 10 list at all. <laughs> well, see, so this is fascinating because a lot of the listeners that we have don't understand. I, I'm in, not in the same boat that you are because you've had more experience than I have in the, in, in the industry, but I am rep by agents. I do go do general meetings. And mm. It is a yeah. process of being like a young quote unquote young filmmaker, you have to convince and bang on people's doors and consistently berate them <laughs> to try to get a meeting. Yeah. But you know, you know, funny enough, it's, it's like that happens to every, like, you know, you think about like um, more famous directors and, you know, and, and, and they all have the same kind of story, you know, even when you're like a top level director and I'm not saying I am, but, but for people that are, that are even, you know, that are bigger than me and stuff like that, they will have stories like that as well. You know, yeah, stories of movies that get, they can't even make, you know, and, and, and even after a success, you have other things uh, that you want to make. And then, you know, it, it, most of the time it's hearing, is hearing like reasons why people don't want to make movies instead mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. hearing, you know, them, uh, like, oh, yeah, we want to do this or we want to do that. It's more like, oh, no, you know, this is to this and this is to that. And, and, <laughs> and, even, and, and even when you, you know, it's from all um, kind of uh, uh, stage of where you are in the directorial kind of ladder, yeah. it's we always we all face the same thing in, in one way or another. It's 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 kind of a it's kind of a. Uh, I, I don't want to say 
a surprise or I don't want to, but it's, it's, it's weird. It, it just, you know, it's always a story of, I always say movies are always a story of abandonment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's fascinating because, um, you know, everybody's trying, it just seems like our industry is very oversaturated. And luckily there's a lot of outlets now with all the streaming yes. services and all that, which really helps. Yes. But they're yeah. like, they're every fucking person. Cause I live out here in Los Angeles. Now everybody, like you go to the coffee shop and everybody's developing something around you. Like everybody's yeah. trying to get in. And it's fascinating to me. I've done a bunch of general pitches and had some interest. And I, we've talked about it on the show. One of my films is being produced by Ridley Scott's company. But yeah. it took, the, what got me in with those guys ultimately was my personal experiences. And mm -hmm. like I, I had put together like this giant press, a prep kit for yeah. it, um, lookbook and all that stuff. But really it was the conversation about personal experiences that really bonded us. Was it the same mm -hmm. way for you? Did you do, did you walk in there with lookbooks? Did you walk in there with a bunch of prep material? Or did you just of, go in and talk about your experiences? Of course, of course. You know, like it's, it's the same all the time. I mean, I think my, my, my trajectory is a slightly different because, um, I started in commercial in visual effects and then, uh, mm -hmm. and then eventually like I transitioned into, you know, I started to work on, on film as a visual effects compositor. That's when I did the ring or things like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or pirates of the Caribbean, which is like, I was working as a, from the visual effects uh, as a compositor standpoint. And then, and then eventually as a visual effects supervisor on commercial, that's where, where you kind of transition. And a big opportunity for me was when Rupert Sanders, um, which I had been working with him hand to hand for like many, many years. And at the time I had stopped kind of doing visual effects and he was doing Snow White and the Huntsman. Mm -hmm. And he calls me up and he's like, Hey, Cedric, do you want to, do you want to come back to visual effects one last time and, and, uh, do a swan song on my movie that I'm doing with uh, universal. And, uh, and at the time I was directing commercial and I was like, and it was such a something that I've never, never had done. So I say, yeah, sure. I mean, of course I'm coming. And then I, I started to, I go to, to Universal, I go on the lot and, and Universal is like, who the, who the hell is this guy? Like, where did he come from? Who the fuck that guy is? Oh yeah. I want him to do the visual effects for the movie. And they're like, hell no, yeah, he's not doing shit. And, uh, and then, uh, so, so here I was, he was, and he, he really stood, stood up for me, like in the biggest, biggest way. Yeah. And, uh, eventually like he was interviewing all those like fancy pants uh, a, a supervisor from movies yeah, yeah, yeah. and I came in and uh, I saved them I think with my technique I, did, I saved them seven million dollars or something like that uh. on the budget so they were like okay you're in <laughs> um, so 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 that was my my way in because then I became second unit director on this on this, this movie oh cool um, and then when I became second unit director then that's why producers start to pay attention to what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, Joe Roth and Palak Patel at the time, like started to really pay attention to what I was doing. And then eventually after that, it was like, Hey, you know, what's next for you and, and whatnot. And so, um, and then they give me the opportunity to kind of 
come in and pitch on some uh, some scripts and in the same way like yeah. I do like a lookbook and all that kind of stuff and so it's the same for everyone and eventually like and eventually my first film became uh, uh, the Huntsman but it was never supposed to be like that just happened because the 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 movie was kind of falling apart and they really needed someone to come in and sh and shoot the movie and that's what it happened but so, outside of that so hold on yeah, when when you started yeah. when you were doing the work for Rupert and you were second unit director yeah. like what kind of stuff were you mostly shooting for second unit was it a lot of action stuff or VFX stuff well i mean the the, the whole second unit things that just uh, just happened to be like at first it was like visual effects yeah. at first it was like visual effects cleaning up some some um, some uh, some scenes and whatnot but uh, it became a little bit more engaged after that because I had been working with Rupert for many, many years. Uh -huh. And he kind of, we had this kind of shorthand and I knew how to imitate his style right. like really well. Right. And, you know, when you're working on movies, there is all kinds of egos. There is all kinds of, <laughs> there is all kinds of thing going on and there is all kinds of, of fights and clans and this and that and opposite, opposite, opposite force that are in, uh, in motion. Mm -hmm. But I ended up having Rupert's trust and I ended up being able to imitate him the best. And that's why ultimately they gave the second unit to me. It's because ultimately I could seamlessly do things that will uh, integrate with what Rupert was doing on main unit. So at the beginning, it was just like doing little bits and bobs. And then at the end, it, it ended up being like shooting the entire end scene with all the fights and all the 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 creatures and the 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 troll bridge and stuff like that so it, it ended up being like all action and mm -hmm. and and big set pieces um and yeah that was and and that was for me at that point that's when i knew that i think i was ready to sit in the chair is like when i was able to go through all that stuff right, right and right. uh and um and then i i, I even you know, at the end, kind of um, help Ru, Rupert um, kind of get the, the, the back end of the film together yep. uh, um, in a way that was working for him. Yeah, that's rad. See, it's interesting because uh, a lot of folks don't know what a second unit director does. And, and the job title is oftentimes like, a little bit strange and you hear about VFX guys that end up becoming second unit directors. So you hear stunt uh -huh. coordinators that become second unit directors and it, yeah. it makes sense specifically as a director where you, where you can't handle an entire shoot just because of scheduling and logistics. And, and so then you end up having to give away uh, like action sequences or sequences that you, it, it must've been so great for Rupert to have you be able to recreate his style because then he can completely just rely on that. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that was, that was, I think that was the big thing for him is like, it was being able to know that I will not let him down and to know as well that I was able to really mimic his, his style. And so whatever I was going to shoot was going to not going to feel like it's been shot by someone else. And I think that's ultimately yeah. what was really good and kind of give him peace of mind in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, so then it makes sense why they would ask you to come, eventually ask you to come and do the sequel, 
That makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, but they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, they didn't. It, it wasn't me. I mean, I, I'm like, a, I'm like, a, I, I, when I, when I came in for Huntsman, I, I was like the, I was like, uh, I was not, not, not at all like supposed to direct this film. So wait, were, you, were you in like, were you in repair mode at that point? Were you trying to bring I was supposed to direct Highlander at that time. That's I read that. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I was, uh, I was, I was supposed to, to, uh, I was, uh, I was developing Highlander at the time and, uh, it was taking forever, you know, I mean, <laughs> of course, obviously of course. still taking, <laughs> it's not still not done. Yeah. Um, it was taking forever. And I think, you know, at the time there was a lot of, um, you know, I think Lionsgate was leaning onto a certain casting and mm -hmm. I was, mm -hmm. I was, I wanted to do other type of casting. So I think, I think it was, it was very early at that point because it kind of, we resume after Huntsman when I came back on Highlander, but it was starting to feel that way that, that they wanted to, have a certain casting and I wanted to have another casting. But anyway, at this point, I just got a phone call out of the blue asking me if I could come and, and, and take over the Huntsman uh, because they were going to shoot in 10 weeks. Wow. Wow. And uh, the director that at the time was Frank Darabont, uh, I just step, stepped away from the film. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, I was not even... I mean, it was like, it was literally Joe Roth, which he and I had a really kind of really good relationship. And he was, he's kind of like my godfather, you know, of, of in movie making and him and Palak Patel. Uh -huh. um, and they, uh, Palak at the time was, was, uh, and Joe, they, they, they called me up and uh, they say, Frank Darbon just stepped away from the film. We're shooting in 10 weeks. Uh, <laughs> No wonder why, you know. no, I mean, no wonder why you had trouble later with critics and stuff. I mean, you barely have time to sort of set a tone or do anything in 10 weeks. That must've been intense. That must've been really yeah. intense. And, and, and that's why I never really got any credit for that. It's just like the critics just, but that's the problem also with critics is like, they're not really interested in digging yeah. what's happening or what happened or whatnot. They're just interested in saying what they have to say. Right. And you can see that all the time which is like i'm just going to say that no one no one is going to check no one is going to check if it's true or if it's right. false or stuff like that right and i'm just going to say what i what i want to say and they just started to pile on and no one really kind of no one really kind of uh, you know gave a little bit of effort in trying to figure out what was the story, what happened and whatnot. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's kind of our business too, right? Cause everybody is a, everybody knows about movies, right? But then no one really knows about how movies are made. And, and when you start to get into it, you put your foot in that door and you start to understand how movies are actually put together and how they're packaged and how like agency packages movies. And it, then you start to understand the politics behind it and you go, it's a fucking miracle that these things even get made half the time because of all the politics yeah. and everything else involved. It's yeah, absolutely. And then the other way you have the same exact uh, situation when you have a movie that is being made and you're like, how come this ever got made yeah. and uh, and the reason is as um crazy as the, the 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 one you were just talking before me it's one way and the other it's as difficult as make a movie that as 
easy as it is. It's like it, there is no recipe. You know, you can yeah. be in a restaurant with the right people, with the right amount of of clout or whatever, and they're gonna write something like you know a, a script on a on a napkin, and that's gonna be funded right away. And on the other hand, the the exact same situation can go completely the other way, where you can write like four times fifth times 15 times the script and 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 yeah and yeah being painful years to get it made i remember you know like like it'll be you'll hear story of people made in working on movies for years and years and years like 10 15 20 years i know it's crazy and uh, and not being able to make it and eventually being able to make it but on the other hand you will hear stories about people having dinner and having one one bad idea and turn that into a movie. <laughs> I know, man. It, it, <laughs> like, it takes so long, you know, because it's taken, I mean, from from concept to where I am right now with one of my films, it's been seven years. And so yeah. when, you're, when you're working on this thing, I don't know if you find the same thing, but when I work on these things, I get so passionate in that moment and then... You know, you, you start to feel like it's going to go, you know, you start to feel like it's going to happen and people start to call you and you get like the fucking applause on the phone, like, congrats, we're going to do this. And then, and then a week later, it's dead. <laughs> and you're just like, fuck. And what you end up doing is for me, I end up like becoming so emotionally attached, almost like dating a movie, like dating a script early on. And I, I get enthralled by the romance of it and, and the ideas. And then I have to drop it cold. And then I come yeah. back again and it becomes different and it's a whole new romance. And it's like, oh, fuck. And the movie changes like three or four times before it's made. And it's fascinating. Like I hear stories of how long it took George Miller to finally get Fury Road fucking made. And mm -hmm. the, the changes that over the course of what, 10 years for that? Like 11 yeah. fucking years? This business is so fucking chaotic and crazy, man. It, it, it really it's it's bipolar and abusive <laughs> it, it is comp it, it is very it's very bipolar and, and it also can be very abusive actually but but that's why for me for me i i i've always i'm always very conservative in the way i i approach projects so i'm always like unless i'm really on set shooting mm -hmm. um i'm not really kind of you know we have a saying in france that's say an, an old saying that you know obviously i hope peter is not going to go after me for that it's, it's a very old saying so peter uh, don't 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 take offense okay, okay. it's called you 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 never uh, sell the 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 skin of a bear you never sell the bear skin the bear pelt before you actually kill the bear uh, uh yes. so which means like you know you gotta wait and that everything is done and then eventually you can you can reap the 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 profit you know of your of your of your work right it's it's don't it's like it's almost like don't become too emotionally attached and yeah then, yeah this yeah like, but you have to that's the weird thing about it is that if you're half attached then you're trying to pitch it you're trying to you have it. to be yeah you have to be full on yeah you have to be full on but you also have to be able to let it go when it's time to let it go and also you know just so you know you know like even when the movie happens uh kate for example it was very different than huntsman huntsman you know as i told you it was like i, I got a phone call and i had 10 weeks to to design a film basically because mm, yeah. there was no design no creature no nothing oh when i when i showed up so i had 10 weeks they, actually, they pushed. They gave me twelve weeks mm -hmm. uh, um, to to design visually the entire film and try to kind of put the script 
into a shape that 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 could you know work well obviously i was wrong on that but uh um, so wait wait wait. uh, hold on so when you're in that mode to jump in here is this just you locked in a room somewhere or did they hand you a bunch of concept artists did you find your own concept artist were you guys all working together in a space or was it just solely you mostly and then turning it into art department no 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 it's not solely me i mean it's like it's like basically like for 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 huntsman it was like it was like uh, me and craig mason uh, trying to kind of make sense of the script and kind of save it in a way that we could Mm -hmm. you know um uh with the design it was me and and dominique watkins working with ent- the entire uh concept department and to try to make actually uh to to make things you know to design you we were supposed to build the set and there was no design and um it's crazy and that was not dominique's fault that dominique was just like trying to make it happen so it was like it was me and him and in the entire department trying to make it the only one that had made like really good progress and was was kind of ahead of everyone was colleen with the with the the wardrobe Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but uh you know but everybody was waiting and say like, okay, you know, we need a, we need a, we need some kind of captain there to kind of, kind of lead us. So I just jumped in and to their uh, credit, to my entire crew on Huntsman credit, they were amazing. They were like, uh, uh, they were just uh, very supportive. And as soon as I came in, they just, uh, they just tried to, to, uh, to support and, and, and make, make shit happen to, how do to you, them, you know. How do you tackle something that is that monumental? Because you, you must hit a point where you go, oh my God, I'm going to do this movie. That's great. Fantastic. And then you just look at the mountain that you need to climb. Is it just about just breaking it down into small steps and you're just tackling each one individually? Or like, how do you tackle that mountain that you had to climb over? Well, I think the first the first thing is like you know I, I mean for me it's like um, filmmaking it's like surfing you know it's like you're 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 like I'm not saying because I live in California or I surf but I, it, there is it's a really easy metaphor to understand in the sense of like you're sitting on your board and you're trying to read the ocean you know mm-hmm. and you're trying to read when when is the wave when the waves is coming and how good or not good it's gonna be and. But when you decided that this wave that is coming up, you're going to surf it, you just, you have to make a commitment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're waiting and you, and you dilly-dally, then the wave is going gonna, is gonna to completely wipe you out. Or you're going to, or you're going to, if you're trying to go back to the, to the beach, then the wave is going to close on you, you know? So at one point, there is a moment where you have to commit and you have to surf that wave. Mm. And that wave might be great, or that wave might be, you know, not as great as you thought, or that wave might just be shitty and you read wrong. But the thing is that you have to commit. Mm. And I think for me, it was, it was that point of commitment where, where I was just like, you can't be afraid of it because that's not going to help you. So I, I just, you might, 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 as, might as well surf it and trying to surf it the best you can and trying to give your best shot. I mean, right. and after that, you know, the, the, the world is like, you know, uh, uh, applauding you or taking shit all over you. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you right. know, <laughs> but the thing is like, you have to try your best, you know, and, and that's why I, I never had regrets on Huntsman or I never had had great time shooting it with the, the cast. And, and it was amazing a time. Uh-huh. And uh, I never had regret on it because 
in a way, you know, it was uh, it was it was part of the commitment. It was part of doing it. You know. Yeah. Right. Um, right. 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 You signed up yeah. for that at that point because you knew. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of you listening to the show ask me all the time, Mike, how is this podcast free? It's like you're not charging us per episode. Where do you make your money? Well, the only way I can keep us afloat is by signing uh, deals with sponsors and affiliates. And oftentimes many of you want to donate to the show, but you just don't have that exposed disposable income. I get it. I understand completely. One of the best ways to support us is signing up for one of our affiliate programs. And one of my favorites, uh, just because of how fucking hilarious their marketing campaign is, is Manscaped. Have you guys heard of Manscaped? I'm sure you have listening to other podcasts. If you are thinking about cleaning up your act, right? If you want to, let's just say the lawn's getting a little too long, you know, getting itchy and you got to do some cleanup. Maybe you're finally, you got your shit together and you've got a date and you're just concerned. (laughs) Then head on over to Manscaped. Support for In Love With The Process is brought to you by Manscaped. Who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming? The champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Good one, guys. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. I've used it. It works. You've heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off, free worldwide shipping with our show's promo code, which is listed below in the description of the episode. Super easy. Uh, check it out at manscaped.com. Um, let's see, what else do they have for talking points here? Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. Cute, guys. I am one of the first people to try out the 4.0. This is true. And I was very impressed with the performance in the craftsmanship. It feels good in your hand. I actually like the little light that's on it. I don't know if you guys have had the same scenario where if you're trying to clean up in darker areas and you're in the bathroom and that overhead light, you got that you got that head shadow. So you're like bending over awkwardly, trying to like position yourself over a contrasting color to make sure you haven't missed anything. You know what I'm saying? Without getting too graphic. <laughs> Like I said, get 20% off and free shipping with our promo code listed within the description of this episode at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with the free shipping at manscaped.com using the In Love With The Process promo code listed within the description of this episode. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Uh, all right. Anyways, uh, let's see. Supporting the show. Let's go to our sponsor, sponsor, sponsor. Supporting the show, as always, good friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the marketplace for a new computer, if you're a video editor, if you're uh, working on Photoshop, you need a new machine, head on over to PugetSystems.com. You can choose a PC. Yes, I said it. PC uh, that, that works for you, that is custom built to the way you need it. Um, I'm very excited about my Puget Systems. I've had them for years. Uh, I just cut my last video, the mom song video on my Puget um, that I shot with the Black Magic, which we'll get to in a sec. But you know what was fascinating? I don't know if you guys have dealt with this yet. Um, I had to import, uh, I shot at 6K. I imported the 
bra files. I think it's .braw, which come out of the Blackmagic. Um, and they run great on my uh, in my timeline, in my Puget system. If you head on over to blackmagic.com, you can actually download the new codex. They have new codex that work really great for, I think it's new codex, right? Is that what they, they're called? Yeah, I think it's a codec or a plugin that works really well for Premiere. And so you can run the raw files in your Premiere timeline, which is really fucking awesome. Um, I actually did a 6K timeline with like 23, 25 different tracks of video running real time, raw 6K on my Puget system, which is really great. Um, but I did have trouble. So when I took those files and I had to do cut downs, which oftentimes you have to do for any content that you do right now. So if you're a video maker out there for anything, music videos, commercials, uh, the clients are always asking you to do cut downs. So you're, they're asking you to do like 15 second bits. They're asking you to do like vertical bits for fucking Instagram. And so shooting 6K, when you have to go vertical, so it's instead of 1920 by 1080, it's 1080 by 1920. That's always really difficult when you're shooting smaller aspect ratios because who the fuck has an aspect ratio where the height is 1920, right? And so what I end up doing is with, six, with 6K, I can take the footage from my 6K sequence and paste it into a 1080 by 1920 sequence, which the footage will be much too large for the actual frame. And I can downsize it, I can frame it, I can move it, I can reframe it for vertical. I can have a lot of fun with that stuff. So I did that the other day for everything that I've been posting for the mom song on Instagram and I had trouble running it out. It was fascinating. Uh, as I was trying to run out the footage, uh, H.264 or ProRes, whatever I was trying, anytime I got to the bra files, the 6K bra files that were put into a 1920 by 1080 timeline, any sort of sequence that was smaller aspect than it was originally shot, when it ran it out, it ran it out as like this strange video with black and white stripes on it. I couldn't fucking figure it out. It was so frustrating. And I'm trying to run this thing out and I'm like, why is this not working? Um, and, uh, and so I tried every outlet I could, I tried every format I could, and I was doing a bunch of research online on it and no one specifically had my problem with it. Some folks were like, look, we've had trouble with the, the bra file in Premiere. So luckily I went over to Blackmagic's website. So I went over to their website and they had a brand new update. They had their new codec update that came out like last week. Uh, so I downloaded that, installed that, and then I was able to run out my video again in a smaller aspect uh, sequence. Now, prior to this, I didn't have any trouble. If I was working in my 6K sequence and I was running out of 6K master, didn't have any trouble with it. But uh, for some reason, when I was doing it in a smaller aspect ratio, I was having a big problem with it. And I'm talking about this here because I couldn't find anything online about it. So I got this, I downloaded this thing, and then I started to run out my sequences. And what I do is I queue them up and I run them out through Media Encoder, so Adobe's Media Encoder. And as I ran them out, I was noticing that it was running them out with the luminance way down. The brightness on all these clips, these bra clips were super dulled out. It was very gray. I'm like, what the fuck? Right? So now I can't run out with all that color correction, everything I've done, it's running them out dull. And so I did multiple tests. I'm looking everywhere because this new uh, codec thing had just come out. And so no one was talking about 
the results of it yet. I couldn't figure it out. And so I just did the process. And I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with computer issues. You have to just break it down and you have to just slowly try all these different ways of doing it, right? Let me try to run it out of this aspect ratio. Let me try to run out with this codec. Let me try to run this out. And I was trying everything and I was getting desperate. I was probably like three, four hours in on something that should have taken me 15 minutes to do. Um, so what I did find out is that this new release, this new bra release that Blackmagic put out, fixed the problem in Premiere only. It didn't fix the problem in Media Encoder. So what you have to do, if you guys are dealing with this, you have to run out your files out of Premiere. Don't output them to your Media Encoder. Because when I did that, it worked fine. Thank fucking God it did. But I love that about my PC. I love that about Puget, is that there are a hundred different ways to figure out backdoor ways to fix everything as far as software is concerned. And there are huge online resources with hackers and nerds and people that have spent years cracking software so they understand how to make stuff work. Um, so working in the PC world, I know from a lot of you that come from Mac side, you're like, well, the customer support isn't the same. Puget's customer support's better. Can you imagine getting on the phone and talking with a real person? That's what you can do with Puget. But beyond that, online, the customer support from hackers, from fellow folks, is a lot more embracing. It's not like going to those old creative cow threads where you go in there and they go, do you know the keyboard shortcuts? And you go, no, and they go, fuck this guy. I hate that shit. It's very elitist. Something about Macs that have continuously been elitist. And by the way, I had an episode planned last week for the show. And what I do is when I'm recording remotely, I'll record on my MacBook Pro. So I have a MacBook Pro laptop, which is very reliable. It's always been reliable in the past. And it's an older version. I'm running a fucking 2012 MacBook Pro laptop. So power to them for building great laptops that exist and continue to exist. But when I went to record shit with Zencaster last week and I had a big director on the line to get on to do this shit, I signed into Zencaster and fuck you Zencaster again. I hate the fact that I'm stuck with you guys right now, but I went to sign on for Zencaster and you have to use Google Chrome and I went on to log on the website and I couldn't load the website. I had to do this research with the director on the line to try to figure out what the fuck was going on. They go, oh, you need to upgrade your iOS to be able to use this right now, which Mac just released their upgrades. And it was like, well, we're not you're not allowed to use this new upgrade on an older Mac that you have, even though my machine runs properly. So one thing I can't stand about Apple is that they figured out a way with their software upgrades to render their hardware useless. And their hardware works really well for long periods of time. Like I said, I'm rolling right now on my, my Mac laptop, but they're rendering them useless with every software upgrade that they do. I don't like that about it, it's very sinister. So I made that jump to PCs and I found Puget Systems and they are a great company, family owned company uh, that help you build PCs. So head on over to PugetSystems.com and check them out. And our other sponsor, which I started to talk about, is Blackmagic. Did those photo shoots last week with Gina of me uh, posing in my uh, tiger jumpsuit with my sick Blackmagic 6K Pro camera. I love the little rig. It's phenomenal. Um, it shoots really great images. 
Uh, it does have a crop factor that you have to look out for. So many of you uh, have to uh, remember how to make the crop factor work for you. So like if you're putting on a standard lens, like if you're putting on like a 24, it's actually not a 24, it's ends up being like a 50 millimeter. So you end up having to shoot wider than you would. I was doing a lot of like fisheye stuff to get my wide angle lenses, uh, my wide angle uh, focal point to work for the mom song video. Um, but once you get over that, it's fucking great. I beat the hell out of that camera. It was hot as hell that day. It was like 100 and change. And uh, I was running that thing hard, man. And it, it stayed with us. Uh, and the images are gorgeous. You guys have seen them. Um, so if you're in the marketplace for a great camera to have as a director that's affordable, I think the, the price point on it is under three grand. If you're looking for a camera that's affordable to have to, to practice shoots, to do pickups, to do insert shots, to just run around and, and keep yourself employed by doing small commercials and music videos, um, I highly recommend it. It's a great rig and it shoots 6K, which uh, keeps you ahead of the game as these hardware manufacturers continue to fucking like render our old stuff out useless. 6K seems to be ahead of the game because uh, all TVs these days are 4K. But more importantly, it enables you to reframe, uh, readjust your shots in post. And when you down res that 6K stuff down to 1080, it's super crystal clear. Um, so I really like it. And uh, Blackmagic just doesn't do cameras, man. They do a bit of everything. If you're in the marketplace for color correction software, if you're looking for the best of the best, Resolve's out there, man. Blackmagic runs Resolve, and they also make all those really uh, very expensive but really cool consoles that you can use if you're building a color suite and build your color suite on a Puget system because those guys have figured it out. They know how to uh, get the right software, the right hardware to work with your software. And believe it or not, the newest card in the market isn't the way to go. Uh, they post all their benchmark tests on that stuff. So it's a great, I'm super excited to have both these sponsors because they work hand in hand. Um, Blackmagic, go check them out. Go to Blackmagic. The link is below in the episode description. Check them out. Also supporting the show is always Quasar Science. Our friends over at Quasar make the best LED units on the marketplace for lighting. So if you are someone that is looking to build out your kit, I highly suggest you get your hands on a couple of Quasar tubes, maybe some bicolor tubes, maybe some rainbow LEDs. Um, they are the type of lights that you can bring your kit to a set with a gaffer and he'll look at you and go, okay, this guy knows what's up. He didn't just buy a bunch of lights off of uh, eBay from China and he has the gaff tape to a fucking uh, two by four. <laughs> Believe me, that happens. Um, so if you're looking to buy some new lights, if you're looking for some high quality LEDs, head on over to Quasar Science and check them out. We 
in a world right now where anytime we hear about directors, you know, it's always in like some sort of like advertising PSA thing, and the the actors are like he's a, he's so he's so uh, inspirational, he's such a genius and shit. No one yeah. actually hears the fucking like, hey, uh, the ship's going down, but we need someone to drive yeah. it. So get get behind the fucking and for you to go, yeah, all right, cool. I think I can make something out of this and and do that. Yeah. That's phenomenal, dude. That's, that's and it was you know. To be honest, it's like it's like also like I feel like you don't learn much from successes. You know what I mean? Like for yeah. when when you when you have a success, you kind of lean into your ego and you. I mean, I, I'm not saying that for everyone, but I <laughs> I, I say you also like you don't learn much from a success because all you're learning is the fact that you did everything good. Right. Right. Um, right. How the, do the, I take the, these compliments? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, the, but but one of the great thing of failure is like is like you if you're not totally dumb about it it's a really great source of knowledge about who you are where you failed and what you could have done better and a big lesson and in a way i think you know every time you fail you know you become a better director for it i mean maybe it's just wishful thinking on my part (laughs) just thinking that i think you're right dude you're totally right about it i've spent enough years doing commercials and music videos and i failed on multiple and then what Mm. ends up you become charged and energized creatively and you have sort of at least i did i'd have an understanding and go i'm not gonna fucking do that again all right all right yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. i mean you know i remember watching uh something it was uh, i think it was ethan Hawke uh uh, talking about about the craft and talking about acting and saying like he, he you know all you can do is try and get out there and and try your best you know and 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 take chances and 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 i found that really inspiring because you know like one of the thing that 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 happened after the huntsman kind of you know took a a, a, a beating in in with the critics mm-hmm. um you know it was tough for me it was very hard and and um and uh, it, it was crushing, you know. I bet. Um, I bet it was. And uh, Chris Hemsworth sent me some. You know, I'm from France, and so I, I, you know, there's a lot of things about American culture that 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 I don't know. And one of the things that I didn't know, and Chris Hemsworth sent that to me, it was the it was the Roosevelt a Man in the Arena uh, um, uh, speech. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, cause I, I, you know, I emailed him and I was like, I'm sorry, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I wish you, it would be better. And then, and, I, and Chris sent me that. She sent me the man in the arena, uh, from, uh, from, uh, from, uh, Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. 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 Um, um, and, uh, not, not Teddy, uh, Frank, Franklin Roosevelt. Was it, was it Frank? Oh man. I, I don't know. Like you're going to have to, to check, check, yeah, check this to one out. Check it out yeah. I think it's, I think it's FDR. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, who talks about it and it was just like, and that's, that's that it's like, that's, that's the story, you know, like today you have like 3000 people that are going to watch Kate and then going to make a review and going to say all kinds of things about it, but it's just only one person's going to make it, you know what I mean? And, and, and there is the people that are in the arena and there is the people that are in the stand mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, do you know the do you do you know that that uh, that Roosevelt uh, speech? Which one is it again? It's called the Man in the Arena. It's 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 perfect for for anyone that is, you know, that is on stage trying to do something, and and for anyone that is actually trying to 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 put himself out there, actually. And it was very inspiring. Oh, it's Thanks, the, it's, it's uh, Theodore, right? It's Theodore Roosevelt that did that. It's the, it's 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 Theodore. Okay, it's Theodore. Theodore. Yeah, yeah, the man in the arena. I've never I've yeah. never heard it. 
I've never read it. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's. Well, you sh as a director, you should uh, you should check it out. I'm going to <laughs> because uh, you might uh, find yourself uh, in that category. Uh, I'm going to. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of things on it. For those of you listening, it is the man in the arena, Teddy Roosevelt. Powerful speech. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely check it out, dude. Um, yeah. Look, I I understand. I can only pretend to understand what that's like to actually you know, give everything that you have and give your life essentially. Cause when you're directing, you're pretty much giving up everything else, right? Like they, yeah. they kind of take over everything for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then have to deal with the, the repercussions on it. But, you know, watching those films, there's skill there and there's a skill level there. And there is something that there's a respect level that will come from your peers. At least I respect your work. I, I respect. Kate. Yeah. Respect oh no, that. it definitely does. I mean, for, Anyone that is in in this business and uh, as the peers go, that's a whole different understanding of things. Yeah. It's a completely different, like if people in the business know how the business works, they know what's coming and what com what comes out, what takes and what not take. And so the understanding of that is completely different. And to be honest, uh, uh, you know, directing movies is still like a is still like the greatest job in the world so it doesn't matter when you get hammered you know yeah, by yeah. by by the world it's still it you know what i mean it's like it's still amazing you know what i mean i'm, I'm not uh, you know well, as I'm long not saving as, as long as we can go back and do it again right that's the whole thing like it don't hammer me so hard that i can't go back to work next yeah time. well that's that's and that's that has nothing to do with actually being hammered that has something to do about being, you know, uh, respected and liked by your peers. Yeah. And that's where the difference happened. Like you can have, you, 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 you can have failures, you know, you can have success is going to buy you a certain amount of, of films that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And success is going to buy you like a certain kind of uh, amount of, of, of attitude or bad attitude that you can actually uh, have and and people are going to allow it right but right, right, failure right. Uh, you know is 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 not a problem if you are you know good to your crew if you're if you're respectful to your actors if you are respected by your peers and that's why it's very important the process is very important because at the end of the day the difference between you making another movie and you making another movie just end up being you Right. You know what I mean? And right. not how the movie performed, but you, how you are as a director, how you are as a person. And that might be the difference sometimes between you making another movie and you not making another movie. Yeah. No, it's good advice. That's a really good advice. Um, so, Kate. So then you, you convince yeah. them, Kate. You go through the yep. process of convincing uh, yep. the production company. Who is the production company again? Is that... Um, so there was two production companies. There was Brian Youngless, uh, which was with the Screen Arcade and Clubhouse. Uh, and uh, there was uh, 87 North, which was with uh, 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 Kelly McCormick. And that's uh, David Leach. Right, right, right. The action, mm. the pretty much action mm, production the company. Action, the action thing, yeah. And so you've got, you go from doing uh, fantasy stuff and visual yeah. effects stuff, because I've seen your shorts. I, I saw the uh, yeah. Carrot vs. Ninja, which was really funny. Um, <laughs> and, and so then you have to make the leap into action. 
Yeah. Like, how difficult was that for you? Well, it, it wasn't that difficult, to be honest, because like uh, uh, when I when I was doing Snow White and the Huntsman, I was already doing a lot of action scenes. Um, right, right, right. So, so I already directed like like a few action scenes in that film, and then I went on to do to do Second Unit for Maleficent, where I also did a lot of action scenes, and I work with uh, Simon Crane, who is one of the most famous, you know, second unit director, and I learned a lot from him also because I was taking over him. He had to go and, and, and do the Bond movie. Oh, no, he was, he was going to do uh, maybe um, the Tom Cruise, um, uh, Emily Blunt movie, uh, he, uh, The Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, he was yeah, going to yeah, go yeah. and do that. So he couldn't stay on Maleficent. So I replaced him, but I replaced him. But in the same time, you know, I learned from him and I kind of continue what he was doing. Um, so I had done that. And then when, and then I did Huntsman and Huntsman, I did a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, action there as well. I have a tendency to not leave uh, action to second unit entirely because I like to do action and I like to have my hands on it and I like to kind of have my have my kind of um, hands in the choreography. Sure. So I don't I don't really kind of say hey you know second unit's going to do that. I normally I I shoot like at least like half of every action movie if not all. You know, and then uh, and so so when I was on, on with Kate, I was working with Jonathan Zibio from 8711, who is a really, really talented uh, 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 stunt coordinator and stunt choreographer, but also a second unit director in his own right. He had just done a uh, Bird of Prey. And so we were conceptualizing, conceptualizing the, the action together. And then I was shooting a part of it and then he was he was shooting an, another part of it but we were definitely like working as one mind that's great okay so this is fascinating because i haven't had the opportunity to do action yet and so mm. when you're dealing with uh with larger action sequences like like you guys did in kate um yeah. is it because in the script oftentimes it doesn't really give you that much description no it, it's, it's the like, classic case of like and the army crest the mountain <laughs> right right engaging in a rude in a in a in a ruthless battle <laughs> yeah. two lines yeah it's two lines and you're like shit that takes a week <laughs> two lines and two million dollar later yeah. yeah yeah so when that happens do you sit down with the stunt coordinator and just go like, all right, so in my head, I've always wanted to do this or I was kind of thinking Yeah, of this course. Be, yeah. 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 So yeah. then you guys are just essentially playing with action figures that early on or like... Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, so so Dominique, the production designer, built, uh, uh, built a, a model of the set, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. um, so we have a model of the set and then, uh, um, you know, we have a concept like, for example, if I take the Black Lizard, which is this kind of uh, a restaurant like white with Shoji like when she does all that knife work. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, like Jojo and I, we said, because I didn't want to do like all kinds of the same kind of fight. So, so I wanted to separate the fight, you know, so we're going to have one car chase, one car crash, then we're going to have some knife work and then we're going to have some, some gunplay mm -hmm. and then we're going to have some hand to hand close quarter. So I want to separate it every style in different scenes. So I don't get, I don't give the I, people who watch it don't have a sense of like, Oh, I've seen it, you know, right. two, two scenes ago it, and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. there was all, First, there was this concept, and then, like for example, in the in the Black Lizard, 
the concept was like, I wanted to do like a Sumi-E type of painting. So everything was going to be white and people cool. are going to be dressed in black. And then we we're going to have the, the, the blood as like this kind of red accent. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was like that. And I wanted to do it like where, you know, we kind of follow the, 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 the progression from one room to the other to the other, almost like a kind of a traveling shot, you know? Okay. Um, so that was the concept of it. And so, um, so we built the set in a way so, so it, we can do this. So it's like a, it's like a U shape set. So, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. the shape came, uh, Dominique started to uh, uh, create the set uh, after we, decided what was going to be the style of that action particularly. And that's why we're able to do all those traveling shots. And then Jojo started to kind of um, build the, the choreography following the path of Kate going from one room to the next to the next while the, the kind of kabuki is, is playing in a way. Um, and so when, 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 when we establish what we want to do, um, and we talked about different kind of, uh, kind of moments and different kind of beats. Like, for example, there is a beat that was very important. It's uh, her cutting her hair uh, using a, a blade. And then Jojo said, oh, well, you know, I say, I, say, I really want to feel like the guy is pulling her hair because having long hair is actually kind of detrimental yeah, in a fight. It's totally. really bad. So, so, so uh, a good fighter will take... Will take um, uh, an opportunity to grab someone with long hair. And I really wanted that to happen. I said, because it bothers me when I see fight like that and, and people have long hair and no one's taking the opportunity, which is the first thing that you will do is, is grab someone by their hair if they have long hair. So, so that was like something that was really important for me. And she was going to have to cut her hair. And then Jojo say, Oh, what about if she was cutting the finger of the guy, you know, <laughs> why she's cutting the, her hair? And I was like, oh, yeah. And then, and then I knew that she was going to have to turn around. So I say, so, so she cuts his, his, his finger. And as she turned around, I say, then she, she stabs in through the face uh, from, from, from under all the way up. And that's how this beat came about. This was just Jojo and I kind of kind of ping-ponging and tossing ideas around. Uh, and then after that, he goes and he does, a, he does the, the, uh, what we call a stunt viz, which uh -huh. is like he used all his stuntsmen and he mimics the scene as we talked about it and as he designed it. And then we're starting to kind of edit that. And that gives us almost like, a, like an animated storyboard, if you will. I love it, man. And that little moment that you were discussing, those are the fun moments. That must have been so much fun, like cutting off the fingers. And then you start to feel that that rhythm. You start to feel like that excitement that that sort of takes control of the entire sequence when you're planning it, right? That must have been a really yeah, good well, moment. Yeah, and, and also because we knew that that was going to be, that's the biggest, that's the first kind of, uh, kind of end-to-hand -end combat that there is in the film. And, and, and we wanted to really... Uh, make it count. So, so, so from that point on, people were going to be like, "Oh, okay." So we wanted that to be very, very violent and and really gory because it was going to be the first time that we were going to see her fighting in that in that way, being poisoned. So we really, we really wanted to be impactful at that time. So, so 
after that, people are like, okay, that's, that's what it's going to be. And, and we're like, yeah, that's exactly what well, it's Well, dude, I mean, being a cinephile and a director myself, as soon as I saw that that space was all white and it was all black and white, I go, okay, this is going to get bloody. <laughs> so it was, yeah. nice. it was nice to see that paid off yeah. really well. And the thing that I really respected about her performance and what you guys did was uh, I liked, I love it when action movies become more action-based than anything else. Like if there's an A plus B equals C, there's stuff that I need to get done and she puts her head down and she goes through the process of doing this and she gets her ass kicked all over the place multiple mm -hmm. times, but she continuously just, here's the, I gotta get, I gotta get through this many guys to get out of this space. I need to get through this to get to this point. And I, I, I kind of love that rhythm with action films. And I, I thought that this movie really did a good job with that where she just went to work and, you know, it makes sense story-wise and character-wise because she's been trained since she was a kid and she's a trained assassin. Yeah. She's going to be really great about it. But then there's also something really great about that momentum, especially in a time period right now where a lot of films are just filled with, like, ridiculous stop and pause and, and like, let's talk about what we just did. And you're like, no, no, who gives a fuck? We saw what you just did. Continue to yeah. push the momentum. And I really liked the momentum in Kate. You really kept that thing going hard and strong, dude. It yeah, because that was that was the that was the that was the style of the narrative from the get go. So from the get go, we we decided that momentum forward it was going to only be forward, and she was never going to backtrack, mm -hmm. and she was never going to look back. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of detail that were made there. Like for example, as as she goes from the 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 beginning of the film when she's like in the or like the chase on the car scene, which happened in Ginza, all the way up to the Murakawa market, the street becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where she's in this very, very narrow street until she decides to really kind of turn around and help uh, uh, um, uh, Ani. And at that point, the, 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 the kind of space around her open up. So, so, so if you look at those, those things, they're, they're obviously like no one pays attention to that, but they're there. And momentum was a very important part of that. If you look at the film, we always push Kate or we always pull her with the camera. So it's, it's constant. We're always mm. pushing her and we're always pulling her. And, and that was a way to kind of keep on going and going so, so she never kind of stops. And that was always, always the case because, um, you know, the whole thing happened in one night. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so we really kind of um, wanted that to have that kind of forward momentum all the time. And you, you were very successful at it, man. Like it, you, it really showcases in the movie and it's refreshing to see. So it was nice, man. It was really good. Thanks. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I, it, you know, it's sometimes it's nice to hear that it's seen and it was noticed. <laughs> so yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's like sometimes, you know, that's, it's like, I mean, generally speaking, like I don't read like, I mean, not anymore. I don't read critics, whether they're good or bad. I don't really read them. Or I don't watch review or stuff like that. I don't, I don't want to watch someone reviewing my, my film. You know what I mean? It's like, you didn't make it. I did. Yeah, right. Um, so, so, so generally I don't do that, but, uh, but it's really great to kind of see when, when, when your film is understood the way you made it and the way you wanted it to be understood. And instead of having like, well, you know, 
Japan is not always looking like Blade Runner. And I'm like, well, yeah, especially when Blade Runner is set up in Los Angeles, you know. And, uh, and you read stuff like, you know, you hear stuff like that. You're like, come on, man, really? Yeah, no, it's really? stupid. It's stupid. And you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Like the, the movie, I loved that aspect of it, by the way. I love the, uh, the anime and the old, like the graphic, oh, yeah. the graphic novel aspect. Pop. Oh, yeah. God, it's so great. Um, and the alleyways, the way the alleyways looked and mm. um, the way fights would, would, would go vertical. And like, I, I really enjoyed all of that stuff, man. Um, and it's interesting because you, you're putting in a lot of this thought, which makes the movie stand out from other films. I think, I think for, a, for an uneducated audience member, you're like, okay, so he, this guy goes into a room, he's got to fight these people and he goes out. But if you're doing it the right way, every time you're getting into a confrontation with a person on screen, whether it's using fists or guns or dialogue, uh, those sequences should be revealing something new and something interesting about the character, correct? Yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't see that. So when they watch a film and they go, I don't know why this fucking movie's so good. I don't know why I like John Wick so much. I don't know why I like this thing. <laughs> it's like, well, because all those really fast, flashy choreography isn't just making loud noises and it isn't just breaking noses. It's slowly revealing the, the way that this, this character thinks without thinking. The, the, mm -hmm. the truth behind what is the character often will hide in their dialogue, but when you're facing a gun, how that 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 at its core is how someone's going to react to violence or react to a situation, correct? Yeah, of course. I fucking love that stuff, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's and and it's you know it's it's like it's funny because like people sometimes get sidetracked by things that they deem important in the film, which are not, you know what I mean, and 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 they fail to kind of see the stuff that are that are much more important, but that are that are hidden beneath kind of like things that are more um discreet you know what i mean so 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 you kind of you get hung up on like i knew it was going to be varic from the beginning but that's not the point of course you <laughs> knew it was that we never tried to hide it you know what i mean it's like why are you so hang up on that that's not the point you know <laughs> the point is you know uh, uh the point is like eventually when she reach uh when she reached kijima she choose she, she realized that vengeance really if she if she wants to 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 amend herself then vengeance is going to lead her nowhere yeah. and i think that's the big thing in the film it's like it's like vengeance when 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 you have done it when you've reached your goal you will be empty yeah. and yeah. and and you will have nothing else to look for and the big thing for Kate is when she reached Kijima is for her to understand that, you know, her ways and her kind of claim is irrelevant. And if she wants to really do something that actually is meaningful, then she has to preserve the only family that that kid has, which is this mob boss, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and that turns into finding an ally and and, and learning her lesson. And you know what I mean? And the fact that Varric has something to do with it is completely beside the point. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I didn't give a shit if you knew Varric was, was, was in it all along. Of course I know. 
is the handlers. That's part of the trope. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, do you think what? Do you think I don't know the movies? Do you think, I, you know, and, and, and looking at people being hang up on that, it's like, it's, it's them, like, it's them, you know, barking at, like trying to hold on that one fruit. Oh, there is only one fruit in that tree. And you're like, no, the other are just a little higher. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, people get hung up on how they perceive things. I mean, we see that all the time now. It's exactly, but but the thing is, like the 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 the, the thing is, like they think what they the way they perceive things is is actually the thing, and yeah. it isn't. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, and and then it comes down to like, why don't you talk to some people? <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean? and what, what yeah. you know, it's like it's like it's always uh, interesting. But it, I think in in that's also the the the, the nature of the days where you're like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not with me, you're against me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like the nature of the days where like, what do you mean you didn't like my post? No, I just didn't watch it. Oh well, well you didn't you didn't put a like on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, sorry, man, I didn't put a like. Uh, that's why I'm not on social media because I'm just like I'm I'm kind of like oh god I know it's 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 so it's so poisonous I um, cannot believe you found me on Instagram I know I'm like <laughs> I have like three 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 followers yeah, I know man I get lucky um, yeah no the uh, social media shit really poisonous and th- this is something that we talk about on the show all the time where empathy is huge and if you're even pretending that you want to be a director or you want to be a storyteller or a screenplay writer and you're gonna actually talk about how other characters live and react and how they react to folks. Yeah. You have to have fucking empathy. And really, yeah. I, I get it. I'm fucking 43. So you, you hit a point where you're, you've been around long enough where you, you start to make rhythms. You start to go, all right, I've seen this before. I think I know what's going to fucking happen now. Don't put your hand over the stove. You're going to burn it. And so you yeah. start to build these rhythms, which... Are, are are dangerous ultimately and you have to break yourself from them and and for the only way you can get out of a mindset that is my way is the right way or i emotion my emotional response to this is more valid than anybody else's emotional response it's actually by getting into a conversation with someone and listening to the other person and asking mm-hmm. yourself why are we talking are we talking mm-hmm. so that i can tell you things or are we talking mm-hmm. because i would like to walk away with a better understanding of things you know, and also like agreeing to disagree is perfectly fine. You know, like there is movies like, for example, like there is movies that as an audience member, I don't I don't really kind of like. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean I think they're bad. Uh, you know, there is movies like I'm not going to I'm not going to name anything, but there is movies that, you know, I've, I've been made by by director that I absolutely adore yes but the movie and they didn't work for me i've you know i i I didn't like them for for x and y reason but the fact that they exist is very important and it doesn't matter if you know my mother always used to say when i was a kid is like it if you it's it's not because you don't like it that you gotta you gotta ruin it for everyone else (laughs) and 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 that's and movies are like that. Movies are like it's like restaurant. You know, like you're vegan. You're vegan. You're not. Yeah. You're not boring because you're vegan. You're just vegan. You just don't eat meat. You don't like it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so when you're vegan, you don't walk in a steakhouse and say like, well, this restaurant is shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's like and movies are like that. But for some some reason, people think it's okay. You know, imagine like. Imagine you go you go with someone and and uh, you go to a to a restaurant and uh, 
and uh, the, the guy and, and you, you 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 don't enter the restaurant and you guys you both guys reading the menu and uh, and uh, you read the, the menu and the guy next to you like your, your friend is like oh this this place is shit yeah. and you're like well have you been there <laughs> and he's like no and it, well have you tried their food no <laughs> but I can tell I've just read the menu I know it's shit and you're like what you know what I mean? And, and, and it's this kind of behavior that now is becoming so normalized where, because you think if you can do that with a restaurant or you can do that with a movie or we, you can do that with a TV show or a book, it's inconsequential. Yeah, but right. it's not inconsequential. It's because you, you put yourself in a mental frame that you think allows you to actually do those kind of things. And because it's a book or this or that or something that you think smaller or a shirt in a, in a store or a, or a fashion or a piece of fashion, you think it's inconsequential, but it isn't. Right. And, 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 and the thing is like, you know, when, when I see people going about, about like certain like political figures that do certain things, that are completely appalling. And I'm like, yeah, they are appalling, but where do you think they get that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course there it's appalling, but this is not just them doing that on things that matters. It's because everybody think it's okay to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think for me as a, as a movie, as a movie goer, I just love all kinds of movies. And then the movie that I don't like, maybe they're just not for me, you know, yeah. but that doesn't make them, you know, not good for someone else. My wife and I have very different tastes in terms of movies, actually. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I watch the stuff that she want to watch, and I surprise myself sometimes being really happy to have done that. Movies that I will never pick in a million years. <laughs> I know. I know. I do the same thing with my girlfriend. What was I wa I was watching Legally Blonde <laughs> last night with her, and it's a movie that I would never put on, but there are a bunch of sequences. Oh, come that on. I Legally Blonde is, is excellent, man. <laughs> There was a bunch of sequences that I really liked. I mean, Reese Witherspoon is excellent, <laughs> you know, in, 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 I mean, come on. But that's the thing. You see what I mean? It's like, it's like those movies, if you take that movie for what it is, yeah, yeah. it's a great time. Yeah, it is. It is. You know what I mean? It's a great time. It's not every movie doesn't have to change the way you see the world or, or move the needle of social, like, this or social that. I mean, the one that do, that's great. Sure. But yeah. they don't all have to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and laughter is very good therapy, you know, uh, uh, for a lot of things, you know. So, so I, think, I think we also get into this situation where we're trying to put, like, things under one, you know, standard, uh, mm -hmm. like a, a book or, a, or like as I say, like, and, and movies are kind of I fell under that, that umbrella of like you know oh, this movie is the best thing ever or this movie is the worst thing ever you know but on one standards and i'm like well no it's like that's apples and oranges you know what i mean there's uh, all kinds of you know there is some movies uh, that i'm not a huge fan of that keeps killing it you know yeah. at the box office you know and i'm like well th that's 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 fine. You know? But you're also restricting. So that formula is also restricting the the artistic ability of a lot of films. So like, um, I don't have a problem saying it. Like there's, 
you know, there's a whole generation that is uh, obsessed with David Fincher movies. And I love fucking David Fincher movies, but they're hit a point where it's like, does everything need to look like fucking Zodiac? Does everything need to have like that underexposed key? And does everything need to be House of Cards? It, you just, p people hold these things up because they do so well. And then our industry, of course, being the industry that floods towards anything, where it's like, oh, fuck, this did well. So like, let's do a hundred of those fucking things. Um, yeah and that's that's a lot that's that's a lot of uh, that that has a lot of to do as well with like trying to repeat something you know trying to repeat this or that and you yeah. know and and uh, um you know obviously when something works um people have a tendency to want to repeat it you know which is like, weird which is weird in the sort of corporate world that we exist in right now because that the reason why that really worked was because of the individual that was making that fucking thing like yeah but also you know it's also there is a sense of like you know like for example like Kate got got a little bit of 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 heat because it was like oh another one of those like action you know female action movie right right and and you're like okay guys okay hold on wait you can can you name me the, the 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 female action movies? Yeah, there is maybe like twenty of them. <laughs> How many male action movies that are doing the exact thing like this have you been doing? And no one has ever said anything about it. And you know, and 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 you get into those things when they're like use this kind of self righteousness, like, well, we've seen three of them this summer. I'm like, come on, like, you know, is it like an exhausted, you know, uh, 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 genre? I'm like. Come on, guys. Exhausted jar. Like, maybe there was like 25 movies made that way. I know. There was a point in time where you would have in the same year Van Damme, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, yeah. Yeah. And, and Dolph Lundgren pumping out yeah. the same movie. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I mean, honestly, like, I'm not going to say the, the film, but there is a, 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 a movie that came out right after Kate, like, in the weeks, in the weeks after Kate, which is like, which is like a guy, you know, uh, 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 two guys, you know, I mean, it's like two guys vengeance. I'm not going to say what it is. <laughs> no one says anything. It's like, this is movie like 567 of that, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that's, and, and that's what I was saying earlier. It's just kind of like, I think people have to kind of breathe a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean? I think there is need to breathe a little bit. There is just too much kind of, um, not enough empathy as what you were saying, but also like, like, like also we're, we're trying, I mean, I, I can see it, you know, uh, trying to kind of emphasize, uh, you know, what makes us different in, instead of, of emphasizing what brings us together. Well, there's an interesting thought on that too, where a lot of that feels like, as a society, we feel like a volcano that's just erupting right now, right? As far as emotions are concerned and with everything that's been going on, COVID and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. that has put us in sort of this like uh, reflective, depressive sort of state that, that many of us are still in. Um, and then the, you know, then there's also the studio system where they realize that you get more looks on something that is emotionally charged, that if you are, you know, you know, pushing towards like, hey, look, we recast Pinhead as a female. They know that if they ha if they release that as like a semi angry post that they'll get more fucking eyes on it. More people mm -hmm. will look at those sort of things. So it's this weird emotional swirl of chaos right now. And you know, so like if 
people were bitching about, and this is me just sort of pontificating. What, what the fuck do I know? But if people are bitching about the fact that Kate was another was another female movie, maybe it's just loaded with the fact that that is the the reason. That is the. It wasn't for your film, but a lot of films prior to that, that was the 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 hook. You know what I mean? That was like the PR yeah. hook where it was like, hey, this movie was supposed to be, hey, maybe uh, the new James Bond will be a female. And they released that just specifically because they know it's going to ra- enrage folks. And then that enrage like builds momentum behind the film. And it, it's just weird. Does, do you feel that way? Is there? Is it- I mean, the thing is like for me is like what, what, I, what I would love, what I would love is, is, is a sense of celebration of... Uh, you know, instead of trying to kind of say, oh, we've seen enough of female thing or we've seen enough of like male thing or we've seen, or we've seen enough of like, it's, it's like trying to embrace that every time something, you know, is, 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 is being made that is, um, that is, that is bringing some, 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 some betterment you know what I mean? Right, um, right, right. Uh, it's like it's like uh, this is what's important. It's not like trying to put everybody's is in his own kind of line of like you stay in your line. You're a guy. Make a movie about guys. You <laughs> this. You know. It's like it's no. I mean, I think you know. Like someone asked me, like, well, do you think as a French uh, director, you you have the right to set a, a movie in Japan? And I'm like. Well, I sure hope that a Japanese director who would like to make a movie in Paris can actually do it. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? I sure hope that that wouldn't be a problem. And I, and I think it's this kind of like sense of like, you know, try, in, in, this is not, this is, this is, this is us going backward, you know? Yeah. This yeah. is us going completely backward. And I think, you know, I hope like every Japanese director can set up a movie wherever they want, you know, and I will, I will, I will definitely hope that that this is the part that should not be celebrated, but instead we're the, what's being, what we're hearing is like you, everybody stay in their lane. Everybody does this and everybody does that and don't get out of this and don't get out of that. And that's, that's the sad part of, of, of this. It's like, yeah. it's like we have to, to move to something that is that is the betterment of you know you see what i mean well dude yeah completely i completely agree with you and i think that uh I, maybe it's because i work in the business and maybe because i as a director i have such a respect for the people that i work with in this business and i know how little i actually do for a lot of stuff and how much the people around me actually do for for more and when i get excited about movies that are coming out and if spielberg's putting out a new movie or if Another big, like Scorsese or or uh, Fincher or, or any of these celebrated directors is putting out a film. I'm excited for the collab, that group of people tackling that subject matter. Yeah. So yeah. like, I want to hear the score that uh, fucking Trent Reznor is going to do for a period mm. piece for Mank. Like, I'm excited to hear mm-hmm. what that is. I'm excited to hear these different elements. And I think we need to... We've seen it with the IATSE strike and everything else that's been going on. I think that we need to really truthfully, truthfully start respecting individuals, start respecting artists, and start respecting technicians. And as an audience goer, the way to do that is to celebrate the fact that the people that made Kate 
are making this film. The people that made this movie are doing that film. And if you enjoyed any aspect of that other thing, understand that it isn't just the script. It isn't the way it was shot. Yeah. It isn't any of that. It's, it's the, that collection of folks that are in the room, like you were saying before, just to design oh, dude, like, that, that action sequence. You know what I mean? On, on Kate, on, on Kate, like, uh, I think we have like over 30 countries represented in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the crew. We had, um, uh, every single ethnicity, uh, the biggest actually, uh, uh group, uh, uh, for Kate was, was, uh, uh the Thai, uh, oh, that was yeah. our biggest, biggest, uh, uh, crew, uh, um, uh, was the Thai and then it was the Japanese and then the Australian and then the Americans. But, uh, uh um, yeah, it was like, we had all kinds of, religion we have like it was amazing to make kate because we made it in japan we made it in thailand we made it like it was there was there was such a great great represent this this is what i'm saying this is what you see the world at its best yeah because when you're like this and you see the world at its best you're like like all those nationality working together and and it was amazing and we could only talk two language on on the on the on the 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 on kate we could only talk thai or we could only talk english so um so everyone that it was wasn't thai or wasn't english had to be able to speak thai or english which was great because um you know we we and we had this. We had, we had Germans, Indians. Uh, um, That's so cool. Uh, Euro, I mean, all English. Uh, uh, we, I mean, you name it, and um, it was amazing. And that's when you see the world at its best. We had all kinds of like sexual orientation, all kinds of gender. Yeah. Like uh, we had my uh, the 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 wardrobe department. We had uh, like Katui, uh, uh, Thai Katui, which is like what people know as, as ladyboys in, in, mm -hmm. in Thailand, which yeah. was like trans, uh, uh, um, gender, uh, and, um, my, my, uh, um, uh, wardrobe department, they were amazing. They're always like, you know, uh, uh, always coming up with like interesting things. And, 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 uh, it, it was, it, you could see when it, all that, coming together and there was never any kind of you know uh, a sense of like oh those people do not belong here or those people do not belong here it was it was pretty uh, it was it was great that's, i mean and that's and, wonderful. and and you you know it can it can it can be like that you know what i mean it's like and, and from you know a, it can be like that from a creator standpoint it's so because people don't really consider this like if you're if you're bringing a bunch of people together to do something like if you have to shoot a sequence and that sequence requires you to build sets that sequence requires you to paint mm. walls that sequence yeah. requires you to you know choose props all these different things and you have folks that aren't like you you have folks that aren't a cookie cutter of you and this is what i beg for when i direct because what the fuck do i know i'm a guy that's sitting and staring at a script at a desk somewhere and writing out ideas from one oh, perspective yeah. I, I mean like i'm always say to my to, to to i say that all the time and and people in my crew like heard it I, I'm, I'm just a guy pointing 
I'm just a guy pointing with a bag of opinion. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that, that's what I'm, I am. You know, I'm the guy, with, I, I'm guy going around with a bag of opinion and just pointing at things, you know? Yeah. Like the, the, the movie exists because of the people that make it. And the people that make it, it's not just me. It's like, it's, it, I, by, your, by a long shot, it's not, it's not just me. It's like, it's, it's, it's tens and dozens and hundreds of people coming together and having a hard times, having good times, you know, having arguments with each other or, and, and making up and this and that. And, and all of this happened and it, it creates this kind of, kind of like turmoil and, and, and mayhem of love and, 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 uh, and, uh, and arguments and, and you, you put all the emotions uh, in that blender and at the end that's the film. But, uh, you know, everyone has a part to play, you know, uh, in it. Like, I remember a story on Kate where we, where we built uh, the, the, the house of, uh, of Kijima mm -hmm. and the, 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 the altar for the, for the, uh, for the ancestor was, was on, the, on the wrong side. And uh, Miyuki, my, my art director, she came, she comes and she's like, oh, Cedric, crap, I went on the set today and the, the altar is on the wrong side. It should be on the left side and it's on the right side. And uh, uh, what do you want to do? And, 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 and I say, well, uh, and I asked Miyuki and, and, and Katsuya, the, the both art directors, and I said, well, would, would, that, would that happen? And she was like, well, not really. <laughs> uh, but it, but she's like but you know it's it's a film it's like it's like and I'm like and I turn to Dom and I say uh, Dominic Watkins production designer and 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 he's like no we, we we're gonna make it right don't worry and then that's that you know what I mean yeah. and that's the perfect example of of and and things like that happen like twenty times a day at least for me you know I, I'm yeah. not gonna talk to about about other other director but at least for me that was happening twenty times a day every day. I love it, man. I really do. And there's something to be said about as an audience member, because I know you're hearing these stories and you're like, okay, but I don't make movies. As an audience member, here's a good example of just of viewing films. There was a point in time in the early 2000s, maybe early to mid 2000s, after the X-Files was so prominent on television, where I would watch a movie and go, this was shot in Toronto or this was shot in oh, Van yeah. Vancouver. And you would just know it instantly by the wardrobe. You would know it by yeah. the way the props and the sets were built because that team had a very specific way of doing things. So, so like they, they would rent a certain truck, they would go to a certain vendor, they would use a certain kind of screws. Like all those elements just become part of what I call the smell of a movie. It's all of those mm. like unseen things that sort of add to it. And then you watch a movie like your film where you have such a mixed group of folks where some of the, the scenes just feel new and fresh all the way down to their core elements, whether it's a specific choice for the wardrobe or a specific alleyway or how the sets are built. And you forget that, that people turn screws differently in different countries. People actually like shop for things differently. People build things in different ways. And I love that shit. That becomes that texture that you could never have imagined would would be a, an important part of your film, you know? Yeah, and you know, also like for me is like like for example in wardrobe, I, what I I always I always like like to have the when when I when I choose my collaborator, my my director of photography, my costume designer, my production designer, and stuff like that, um, I, I choose them because I value 
their work and I value their opinion. So I always look uh, to kind of incorporate their opinion into, into what I'm doing. And most of the time, you know, that's changed the way I'm also doing things, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, uh, uh, I like to, to have the cast members uh, feel really uh, comfortable in, in, their, in their wardrobe. So what they wear is most of the time something that they've chosen. Mm -hmm. Like Mary, for example, in Kate, is, is a, a part of... So it's not like, it's not open bar. So I, I curate some things that are in what I have in mind. But it's, there is enough of variation with Audrey, uh, the, the costume designer, there is enough variation. And then eventually it's Mary who kind of mm. put the pieces together. And like, for example, everybody asks about the Onitsuka. The Onitsuka, is that a homage for Kill Bill? And I'm like, well, if, if, if Kido wears Onitsuka in, in Kill Bill, it's because Bruce Lee was wearing Onitsuka in uh, The Game of Death. Mm -hmm. um, that she wears this exact outfit. So, uh, but the reason why I I put Onitsuka available for Mary to choose from is because Onitsuka is the first kind of brand of sneakers that was in Japan, and also originally they kind of came into the United States and uh, uh, were were exported in the United States. So they are kind of the OG sneaker, right? Yeah. So it has nothing yeah. to do with with with. Uh, with uh, Beatrice Kido, even if I love the film, it has nothing to do with that, but it has to do about where Onitsuka stands in the history in Japan. And I put them available for Mary, but Mary chose them. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and so the the Mary picks picks those those sneakers. Uh, she could have picked others, but she picked those. And the same way um, Miku picked uh, uh, Converse, you know, uh, uh, for uh, for Ani. Um, I like, and, and, and Woody actually chose his suit as well. Um, you know, so, so, so those, those decisions are not mine. They're like, I just kind of put them in a direction that I would think would be good. And then, then they, they kind of, they kind of make them, them their own version of the character. Like all the rings that Woody wears, that's, he brings that. In, yeah. in, to the to the to the to his character, it's not me saying, "Oh, hey, Woody, wear some rings," and and he brings all kinds of stuff like that. When he comes out of the of the of the 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 car and he say, "Oh, I, you have bracelet," I thought I had the coolest bracelet. No, you have the coolest bracelet. <laughs> that's not scripted. That's just Woody just just uh, improv improvising. <laughs> You must have been excited when that happened too. That, that's I, yeah, and I love that. I encourage that. You know, like when uh, Woody loved that, and so when I was working with Woody, who is, by the way, like super easy to work with, I say, you know, I encourage him to explore those kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and he was having fun with it, and 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 that was that's kind of, you know. I need I need the script to say a couple of things. Yeah, there is there is sentence that that we need to say there in that scene. But in between the sentence, there is room for for a little bit of something if an act, if the actor wants to explore. And that's that's an example of it. It's so great, man. It's so great. How was shooting in Thailand? I've never I've never been, but I, we were potentially pitching a project for there. How is how's Thailand? Is it fun? Thailand uh, Thailand is amazing. I mean. Um, um, 
first of all, the people are amazing and, and uh, um, um, the crew are really, really good. So that's one thing that, yeah. uh, that uh, like I've never seen like grip crew and, 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 and light crew like working like this. It's like, it's, it's, it's up to par with like American team. I mean, I, I hope I don't, I don't offend anyone, you know, by, by saying that in the United States, but I, I swear to God, it's like, it was, it was an amazing, amazing crew. And the people in Thailand are really, really, um, like gentle and, and always, they're always like, um, smiling and it's very, it's a really welcoming kind of, kind of culture. And you, you have to respect that. And if you disrespect that's 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 it. You're done. You know you're not getting it back. But uh, <laughs> right. but but if you don't, if you if you if you respect them, if you uh, it, it, they're they're amazing. But the crew are, are are fantastic. Now, shooting during monsoon season, uh, that is a whole different story. I mean, oh if gosh. you if you know if you don't like hot and humid, um, oh. it might be tricky. But that's one one thing that we were happy to do. Which like we shot 11 weeks of night for Kate and we were happy to do nights because it ended up being a blessing because if you were to shoot days, it would have been a lot harder. <laughs> and so you have scenes, for example, so a scene that has been shot in Thailand and in Tokyo uh, is the scene outside the, uh, outside the, the, um, the Kominka house, the, the Kijima uh, traditional house at the, at the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, a part of it has been shot in Bangkok and a part of it has been shot in Japan. And when we were shooting in Bangkok, it was like, you know, 100 degrees, you know, 90% of, uh, of humidity uh, at night. And when we shot in Tokyo, uh, a couple of months have passed and it's literally like... Um, 50 degrees or 45 <laughs> degrees. I mean, like the fact that we don't see a cold breath outside of Mary's uh, uh, um, mouth when she is outside that that scene and, and Annie shoots her in the face is amazing. I was like, oh my, I was like freaking out. I was like, oh my God, we're going to see cold breath like left and right. And so, and so she wears that t-shirt and it's like, yeah, it's like 40 degrees outside. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> movie making is is so yeah. wild and weird man and we're very fortunate to be able to do it you know and to have those experiences and uh, those life experiences really shape my life being on set like there are multiple moments that i'll take with me to my grave you know and that that the audience has no idea exists and like it's such a great it's such a great fucking thing i like i feel so blessed when i can when i can actually fucking do it you know what i mean oh yeah but, and and that's the thing is like you know, at the end, the movie comes out and people, some people love it, some people hate it, and it makes that much money or it makes this, this, this much money. But at the end, you know, um, you always remember when you were making it. You know, when I'm in this alley and it's 100 degree <laughs> and, it's, uh, and, it's, uh, and, it's, uh, um, and it's like four in the morning and Mary is exhausted and she's just like, She's just giving it all. And, and I remember one night I was like, I was trying to get her to, to shoot the guy a certain way. And it's literally like four in the morning. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's like, she's exhausted. And, you know, it's 100 degrees. <laughs> and she turns to me, it's like, come on, Cedric, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Mary, I want it that way. Like, come on, look, do you do it? She's like, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm like, no, it's like, 
I was like, okay, 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 fine, fine. And, and, <laughs> and that was literally, that was the only time that she was like, she was like, she, she, she was like, oh my God, I'm so over this, you know? And, uh, um, and it was amazing because I, I, I mean, that could have happened every single night, every single day, and, and it didn't. And that's also to give prop to her and how amazing she was going through the ringer that way. Because yeah. you remember those days, and I remember that as a really fond memory. I don't remember that as Mary kind of like being, being <laughs> having enough of, of my shit and saying like, come on, man, give me a break. It's four in the morning. What the fuck do you want? You know, I remember that as, as me thinking like, oh my God, that's just happening now. It should have happened 200 times already. You know what I mean? And to give prop to Mary, who is amazing. And I, and I keep that, I, I will keep that to my grave to many other, other instances that I was on set and, and shooting. Um, this is a, the process is, is what you, what you keep uh, for yourself. Like, uh, uh, you know, and as I was saying earlier, even if the Huntsman was not, you know, uh, a movie that 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 was a that was a hit by by any any kind of stretch of the of the imagination. For me, it was an amazing process yeah. to work with those guys and uh, I, making the film was just they're nothing. You know, like you hear bad stories about about sets sometimes, and you know when things don't go or, or, or around really well and whatnot. Yeah. But that was that was never the case for me, and I was blessed to have kind of made films that with where 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 the process was amazing and that's the part that I keep with me and I will take with me uh, uh, and probably most more important than you know whatever that critic said or whatever this critic said I mean probably I mean I'm sure it's more important <laughs> <That's probably. laughs> well yeah man what am I saying well, yeah, man. I, like you've you've had these great experiences. You've been fortunate to do it, and that's a great outlook. Because what the fuck do the critics know? I mean, you've seen the history of like the thing. Everybody loves John Carpenter's The Thing right now. That the critics fucking pan that movie when it when it came out. Oh yeah, you know? Blade Runner, Blade Willow, Runner. you name it. Those movies were which were like kind of shaped me really. Like every, yeah. every time they were like, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah. Oh man. my god, no yeah. way. Yeah. And then you re and then who won the Oscar that year? I don't know. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Of course, you hated the thing. <laughs> ET was chasing Reese's pieces around on the fucking floor <laughs> that year. Of course. Um, but dude, look, this has been a great conversation. Um, you've, thank you so much for sharing so much. And, um, I'm a big fan. So, I mean, oh, not only you. am I a fan of the films at this point, but I'm a fan of the way you do it and, um, <laughs> and your outlook on things, man. And, and you are that, that group that I will chase around and be like, I, I really want to see what uh, Cedric's doing next. Oh, thank you. You know, I look back uh, here is the thing. It's, it's very simple for me. It's like when I grew up in France, I was, uh, you know, I, I was, I was drawing like Wolverine when I was like 13 years old, you know, I was like, I was like, you know, uh, at the time I didn't know, I, I got diagnosed later in life with like all kinds of like all, all kinds of things and including uh, uh, dyslexia and, right. and, and other, other, other good stuff. Um, so I didn't know at that time that, you know, that my teacher was, they just thought, yeah, he's not the academic type. He's not really, you know, because his notebooks are full of drawings, you know? So it's like, I, I had like 20 Wolverine written where I should have taken notes of whatnot or history or geography or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so they were like, 
whether he's crazy and we should put him in an asylum or, you know, he's gonna, or he's not good for academics. Um, so I, at the time I, I hadn't been diagnosed. So, so my, 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 uh, no one knew like, you know, that I, I had like those, those, uh, those, this, this thing. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, like when I make movies, I look back at that, at that 12 year old version of me. And I look back <laughs> at that 13 year old version of me that was dreaming about those things and dreaming about the, the monsters and the, this and the, that. And, uh, and I look back at that guy and I look back at this kid and, and, and this kid looks back at me and, and there's two versions of that. Whether he's looking back at me and he's like, you forgot why. I was dreaming about this and you're a douchebag yeah. and, yeah. and, and, and you're like, you know, and you're lost on the cause or the, the, this version of me looks back and, and is like, yeah, man, you, you monsters and, 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 and movies and like blasters and like superheroes <laughs> and whatnot. And he's just giving me the big thumbs up. And ultimately <laughs> I think that was the thing. The thing for me was, was to kind of, make the dreams of those of that kid that was kind of growing up you know outside of bordeaux in france and in a in a kind of a um where everybody was saying like when i was saying like i wanted to draw superheroes and be a comic book illustrator <laughs> or, or later like i wanted to to be in the movies like people have, were having a laugh, man. I mean, they were like, they were like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, no, be, that's not going to work. Like, you know, and I mean, it was seriously, it was very much like that. It was very much like, you know, all the way up to my father being kind of like, listen, man, this is, this is, this is ridiculous. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Right. It's like, I, and, and, and. And I look back at that kid who just everyone, beside my mom, everyone around him, and that's why I think I'm so motivated by, by, uh, by female characters, because my mom was always like, she, she, she didn't take shit from no dudes, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, she of was like, She was like, yeah, you can do it. And she was the only one that said like, yeah, yeah, you can do it. And, um, and everybody else was laughing and was like, what the fuck is wrong with Cedric, man? What is he talking about? And... <laughs> And, and I look back at that kid who, who just was there and, and, and was terrible at school and, 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 uh, um, and was drawing all kinds of, of, of monsters and, and superheroes in his, in his notebooks. And, and this kid's looking back at me. Yeah. And I always look at this. And, and if this kid is looking back at me and give me the thumbs up, then I'm cool. Yeah. And I think that's kind of my standard right there. My first... Uh, <laughs> My first uh, VHS, we were 14 years old when we had a VHS tape and, and I went out and, I, and my first ever rental at the video club was uh, Escape from New York, you know. Uh, <laughs> John and, uh, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course, you know, and Escape from New York. And I watched this film and I'm kind of like, fuck, Snake Bliskin is the coolest dude, coolest you know, dude. with this coolest. eye patch and this <laughs> thing. And, and I'm like, he's the coolest guy. And everybody asked him, he... Why, everybody think he's dead or whatnot. And, and you see, those, those were the movies that shaped me. I mean, Star Wars, obviously, and sure, other things. Sure. But, but those, this, this is what that kid was watching, you know, and he was watching that, and he thought that was the coolest stuff. I mean, of course I watched Citizen Kane, yeah, you know, right, right, right. Uh, uh, when I was in film school, but this is not 
what was shaping me, you know, what was shaping me was, was, was those kind of movies. Oh, you for know? sure. For me, it was the same thing. It was that it was, it was Die Hard. It was Lethal Weapon. Like, like all of those original, like noir sort of like <laughs> broken down hero men. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, and it was like, it's, it's those, and, and, and it's those things where like, I remember watching like, uh, you know, uh, uh, an American werewolf, you know, in London. And I was yeah. like, God damn it, man. I love, I mean, big fan of werewolf, big fan of werewolf. And so, so I always look at that, at that kid, you know, and that's, that's kind of my thing. It's, it's like, it's like, is he okay with this? Is he okay with who I am today? Or is he okay with what I'm doing? And, and, and if, if he's okay, then, then I'm okay. Like when, when that kid watch, you know, a huntsman, he's going to see that's, that's, that's Willow. He's going to see that that's, that's not frozen. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right, right, and, right. Uh, and, and, and I, I, and I kind of, and I kind of, and that's kind of my thing, you know, and, 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 and I'm going to ride that wave as long as I can, you know, and eventually, and I hope like, you know, uh, um, it, it gets people like, you know, I mean, Netflix has, uh, has been really good on, on Kate has been really successful on Netflix. So I know that there's a lot of people that have seen it. Um, and, uh, and, and if they, those people are, have, have a good time, that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's good for me. Has the success from Kate, uh, opened some more doors from you, for you at this point? Like, are you in that position where you're looking at better projects now, or have you not even thought about that yet? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously like I just got a, a fair bunch of like action, you know, female, uh, uh, thing like it, you know, it most of the time it's, it, it happens, you know, like. Sure. After Huntsman, I, I got offered like like quite a few fantasy. Right, this movies. this guy this guy knows how to like put chicks yeah. with guns and make them the look sword awesome. and sandals. Let's give it to him. <laughs> and now it's like, what do you mean, pink and neon and 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 woman with guns? Give it to him. Um, so so no, it it, it did, and and I am uh, I'm I'm working on 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 a few projects. Normally, I, I'm I'm trying not to do the same thing. Sure. So so uh, so so right now, I'm working on 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 two other projects that are uh, that are very very different uh, than Kate. Um, one is is me going back to a to a studio, uh, and another one is uh, is is uh, is. Um, more like indie mm -hmm. but uh mm -hmm. but yeah i mean like uh, like yeah, yeah, i i am i'm i am working on a big project with a with a big studio right now um well, cool. which uh, you know which is kind of exciting but you know how it is like yeah, that's why i'm very conservative I'm, i don't say anything because it's like well actually it's one of those that i cannot say anything or i have to kill you <laughs> <laughs> well dude fingers crossed for you man and and in the best of luck with all that stuff and it's nice to hear that you're getting access for you're getting rewarded for doing something great and that's nice to hear so well, thank you um thank you man and uh thank you so much for sharing on the show and thank you for for giving us all this time and it's been great talking to you man you're a good dude i really enjoyed it well thank you thank you i i i hope your uh, your uh, audience would be okay with the with the the accent and everything because I don't know man I don't know if I could listen to myself to be honest <laughs> without an Advil maybe uh, two Advil or something they're like, gonna love two. it they're gonna love it they're gonna love it <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks so much thank you Mike
great episode, great dude. Uh, there is nothing more rewarding than, uh, you know, wanting to, I, I didn't know anything about Cedric before I sat down with him. Um, and uh, there's nothing more rewarding than actually finding out that he's a good dude, that he's a great guy, he's a very creative dude, um, but also someone that is aware of what works. He's aware of his failures, he's aware and he's learning and he's becoming a great filmmaker for it. And I think that Kate could have just been a mediocre action flick. It could have been one of many that are just unforgettable, paint-by-numbers kind of action movie. And this one's not, because it's got that spirit in him. It's got that little kid that he talks about, that younger version of himself that's judging him from his past and forcing him to make something that he would have liked. Uh, and luckily, I probably would have hung out with him. <laughs> Our two little 13-year-old boys would have been sitting and uh, reading comic books. <laughs> Why did I say 13-year-old boys? Super creepy. Two 13-year-old pals sitting around reading Wolverine comic books. What the fuck, dude? Um, but anyway, thank you guys for listening. We, I hope you loved it. Um, I learned a lot, which means you learned a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, let's see. I told you I'd catch you up at the beginning of the episode. Uh, let's see, what's been going on? Oh, we, I went out. It was nice. I went out last week uh, with a bunch of pals from uh, Boston, Massachusetts. One of the bars was having a, uh, a Massachusetts only night. So they had this thing called like Saturday Mass or something like that. And uh, it was all for people from Massachusetts that, that located themselves out to Los Angeles. And it was fun. It was a blast. Me, Gina, Lance, whole crew of us went and hung out, had a bunch of beers. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, prepping this week, I've got a couple podcasts uh, scheduled, a couple podcasts to record. So there's going to be some great content coming your way. Uh, and I just want to thank you guys for supporting the show, for being here. Thank you to all the uh, musicians and the bands that contribute the music to the show and make this show sound the way it does. Um, I can't, I, I couldn't do it without, without any of you. So thanks. That's it. I'm going to let you guys go. I'll see you next Tuesday.
Shine 